0: Uh, so this morning we are continuing a series uh, titled, Grace Changes Everything. So we've been spending time looking at First Corinthians and really just identifying the issues and the problems within that church and the ways in which Paul was directing them onto the correct path, onto God's plan and purpose for their lives. And he is constantly reminding this church that grace really does change everything. It is God's gift towards them. All we have to do is receive and God will bless them and transform their lives. And we see more of this within our passage uh, this morning. Um, we learn from their example when we look at the church in Corinth in terms of what it is that we shouldn't do, but also in, in terms of what it is that Paul instructs. And in this letter, Paul is offering them a solution to these sin choices, and we see more of this um, within the passage. So let's just continue in our reading of this letter. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and verses 7 through to 13. Uh, Paul writes these words for us. to to the church in Corinth but it's also for each one of us this morning Uh, the words are going to be up on the screen I'm reading from the CSB uh, the Christian Standard Bible if you want a physical paper copy uh, there's some up at the back there uh, as well Um, so Paul writes uh, in verse 7 for who makes you so superior what do you have that you didn't receive if in fact you did receive it why do you boast as if you hadn't received it you are already full you are already rich you have begun to reign as kings without us, and I wish you did reign so that we also we could also reign with you. For I think God has displayed us, the apostles, in last place, like men condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to people. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonoured. Up to the present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we respond graciously. Even now, we are like the scum of the earth, like everyone's garbage. (coughs) Amen. May God bless the reading of his words this morning. Uh, last week, we were taking time really to understand this phrase, not going beyond what is written. Not going beyond uh, what is written. Uh, and really, the sort of essence of that was that the Corinthian church were prioritising things way beyond what was written about most things. So these apostles, these leaders, the Corinthians, were making much of, so much so that they were worshipping these men. They were going beyond what God's word had said about these men, and they were really putting them in a place they shouldn't have been in. Um, and so it will come as no surprise to us that if we're, you were to summarise the first six verses of this chapter, as it really sort of uh, captures, encapsulates what is going on, the word that we would use to describe that particular passage is idolatry. In the first six verses, we see just this worship of something other than God. The Corinthian church were elevating certain apostles, at the expense of others. But more important than that. They were elevating. They were in effect worshipping certain apostles. At the expense of God himself. Which was an even worse sin. And so Paul's response to this. Is what we read in verses 7 through to 13. Which is our passage this morning. And the one word that jumps out. To really capture what is going on within our passage. Is comparison. Comparison or comparing. Paul, in this passage, compares one group with another group. He compares the Corinthians with the apostles. And through comparison, Paul is wanting them to see the errors of their ways, the ways in which they have fallen short in terms of what God had planned for them. In reality, Paul is comparing them so that they might see their own sin. We don't often think that comparison is a good thing that's from God. Let's be honest this morning. As we think of this idea of comparing, oftentimes we don't see it as something that is good. and um, We don't think comparison is something that we can use to help other people. And yet Paul says later on in this letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. In effect, Paul is saying in this verse, compare your life, with my life and go and do what I do as I compare my life with Christ's life and in some regard do what he has done. So this idea of comparison, Paul sees as something as valuable, something as precious, something that it's, that's important. So there is a way in which comparison can be redeemed for us this morning. We don't compare because comparison generally, as I've said, gets a bad name. Comparison in its most novel form is when you go on a website and you compare two products. I don't know if it's like go compare or whatever it might be. We take two products, we match them against each other and we work out which is the best or which is the cheapest. But comparison can so often be destructive. It can be detrimental to our spiritual walk because we make it oftentimes so much about us. When we compare, our focus is upon ourselves. So I don't need to ask a question this morning as to whether or not you compare, because the reality is we all do it. Every single one of us, we're always comparing ourselves with other people constantly. The eyes of our heart are looking inwards and outwards horizontally towards other people. We're constantly comparing and more often than not, it produces one of two reactions within our lives. Firstly, it can produce something of of pride within our hearts. When we compare, it produces pride. We actually think that we're better than other people. We look at ourselves, we look at someone else. We think we're better in some way and it produces a deep sense of pride. We start to think that we are amazing. Let me just say, none of us are amazing. Only God is amazing. But we have a sense that we are amazing when we start to do these comparisons. We can so often be like the Pharisees. In the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke chapter 18, in verses 11 to 12, we may not say it as explicitly as this, but we see in this, this passage, the Pharisee saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. You know that can be like us we can say god i thank you that i'm not like this person or i'm not like that person i thank you that i'm so much better than many people in my life it's pride worship of self we honestly do believe that we are better than others and it's a complete lie a complete falsehood it's not of god this is a love of self at the expense of everybody else we think we're top of the tree And our aim and objective is to kick everybody else off of that tree. So pride can be one reaction when we compare. Or our experience when we compare ourselves against others can be one of despair. One of despair, which is really just hidden pride. As we compare ourselves and we start to see how much better they are in certain areas of their lives, compared with us in all of our lives or certain parts of our lives, We start to ask a question, why is this? Why am I not better than them? Why am I not further along as them? What is it about me that makes me a lesser person than them? This can often be our interpretation. We start to feel hollow inside. We start to feel worrisome. We get confused. We lose perception in terms of reality. And it produces within our hearts a deep sense of, of despair because we see other people doing better than us. So I want us to get to a place this morning where we recognize comparison is real, comparison is constant, and comparison has a potential to be damaging for us spiritually. Let me just give you three examples, practical examples of ways in which we can we can compare ourselves with other people. The first one is relationships. Um we constantly compare the relationships that we have with others horizontal relationships can become more important than the vertical relationship we have with Jesus you know I was single for a very very long time and during that time many of my friends and family around me were getting married and um, I was best man three times in one year um, you know that phrase always a bridesmaid never a bride <laughs> I was always the best man never a groom and there was this season of anxiety, a season of worry. And basically it was just pure comparison. I was just constantly comparing myself with other people. My identity was wrapped around not who I was in Christ, but who I was in light of other people. And that's just, that's just so wrong. Our identity is, in, is vertically before it's horizontally. Our identity is in Christ. And from that identity, we understand all of our relationships. So relationships, number one. Number two, material wealth and possessions. One of the clearest ways we compare is with the stuff that we have, our material wealth. And we do this because this is what our world constantly does. Our world just constantly, constantly communicates this message. You need to have money. You need to have the best gadgets or the best things, the best possessions. You know, you'll be amazed by what remains when you watch a TV show that prioritizes material wealth. You might watch it and just think to yourself, it's just a show, but something remains in your heart. Some some sermon has been preached into your life and you start to believe the importance of material wealth and possessions. And when we receive this cultural priority in our hearts, we start to compare. We start to compare ourselves with other people. John Piper provides a fascinating insight into how it is we spend our money. And he basically says the things that we buy, more often than not, are actually just symbols, for badges as to how much money we actually have. Our culture says you made this amount of money and so you should spend your money within this bracket. And how we spend our money, the possessions we have, are really just us communicating to other people just how much we actually have. When we do this, it's an absolute breeding ground for comparison. And it's this attitude of, look how little they have compared to me leading to pride. Or it's this attitude of, look at the house or the car or the watch that they have. I don't have that and that leads to despair. You might hear this and think, I don't have this problem I've not got any money. But it's nothing to do with the amount of money you have. The homeless man can have more of a money problem than the millionaire. It's what's going on within your heart. It's what you do with what you have. Do you compare what you have to, with those who have more or who have less? So number two, material wealth and possessions. And number three, family. You know, this is something I'm, I've recently become aware of since there's been a a recent change in the family dynamic of Five Pennycook Place. But for those of us who have families, you know, we do this, we compare our children. Um, I find this with the early stages of development, there's an assessment as to what each child is doing at nine months, ten months, eleven months, what each child is doing after one year, two years, three years, how able a child is at the start of school their abilities through primary school into high school, what our children achieve grades-wise in high school, what qualifications they get, what jobs and careers they have, who they become as people, as adults, compared with other people's children. And I could just go on and on and on and on. Let's be honest this morning, we can become absolutely addicted to comparing our families with other families. So these are examples for us around comparison and it's really what not to do when it comes to comparing. And these examples, in reality, are not about family. They're not about money. They're not about relationships. They're about us. They're really about the condition of our hearts. What's going on deep inside us? What we worship, really? Is it Jesus? Or is it something else? Is it ourselves? Or something within our life? They're deeply rooted in the fact that we love ourselves and we want to be top. We want to be numero uno, number one just because we see bad examples when it comes to comparison, it doesn't mean that comparison can't be redeemed. You know, I've got a friend who lives on the other side of Scotland on the East Coast and he's a little bit older than me. We meet every now and then. It tends to be once a year these days. But every time I meet him, I see, I really do see just how much he loves Jesus. I see how Jesus shines in his life And in reality, I leave that time spent with him comparing his life with my life. And it propels me to be a better Christian. It's it's a good way in which I'm able to compare. I look at my life. I look at his life. I see how much more mature he is in me. And it draws me, it drives me just to be more faithful to Christ. You see, comparison can be redeemed. We can worship Jesus through healthy comparison. And Paul was someone who constantly compared in his letters to the churches so that they might grow in Christ. In his second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 8, Paul says to the church at Corinth, so he's writing to the Corinthians here in his second letter, he says, We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. So he's writing to Corinth and he's saying, Look at these guys in Macedonia. In other words, he's showing the Corinthians what the Macedonians did. And in effect, he's saying, compare what you're doing with what these guys are doing and live in light of the Macedonians. Pursue Christ through their example. Imitate them as they imitate Christ. In our passage this morning, Paul matches the Corinthians with the apostles. And he does this because they have already started to compare in a sinful way. As we looked at last week, we've created this kind of leadership league table. Who's the best and who's the worst? Who's in the middle? And it's just sinful. It's pure flesh. It's not of the spirit. So we are in the first part of verse 7. Paul just bringing this, this church to a place where they compare in a healthy way. So he says in the first part of verse 7. For who makes you so superior? In other words, in light of these comparisons you're making. Which is really what verses 1 to 6 are all about. Why do you think you're top of the tree? Honestly. Why do you think you're the best? Why do you think you're better than everybody else? And Paul then underlines in the second part of this verse. Why it is they should not think this. And this is so important for us. As we think of all the different achievements we have within our lives. Paul says. What do you have that you didn't receive? Let me just ask that this morning. What do you have today? That you didn't receive? Everything is a gift from God. Don't come to that assumption or that belief, that that lie. That in some way you have achieved something on your own strength apart from God. Everything you have today is an absolute gift from him. Paul continues, If in fact you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? Why do you talk as if you hadn't received it? Why do you boast? For Paul, who we are and what we have is all a gift and it should cause us to give thanks to worship him. You know, when you identify, I would encourage you just to play the thankful game when you get home and just spend time giving God thanks for all the ways in which he has provided. Identify everything you've been given and thank him and watch how you experience joy in your life when you do that. The blessings we receive, the hardships we face, all of it should result in greater dependency upon God. It doesn't matter what season we experience within our lives. It should all cause us to recognise our need for Him and to worship Him with all that we are. And Paul then goes on to unpack what else the Corinthians think about themselves. So we read in verse 8, You are already full. So Paul says to these Corinthians, You are already full. Paul obviously knows that in reality, they're not, they're not full. That they that they think they're full, so he understands they believe that they're full, but he knows they're not full. You are already rich. Again, Paul knows it spiritually. They're not. They're not rich, but they think they're rich. You have begun to reign as kings without us. Paul clearly has this insight into the heart of the Corinthian. They think they're kings, the MacDaddies of Corinth, and he continues. And I wish you did rain so that we could also rain with you. That little sarcastic note here, I wish you did rain, is Paul telling him. You guys are talking absolute nonsense here. It's a complete lie. You think you're raining and I wish you did rain, but you're not. For him to say I wish you did rain is for Paul to know you're not actually raining. This is a false world that you live in. And it's a lie that is rooted in the devil himself. You see, the reality is the Corinthians believed that they were the spiritual bee's knees. They thought they were superior and better than everybody else. Because they had physical blessings. They thought they were better than everybody because of the physical blessings. The prosperity that existed within their lives. And Paul wants them to see that this is completely wrong. Through the example of the apostles. So he identifies what's going on with Corinth and then he says, okay, let's compare the Corinthians with the apostles. And verses 9 to 13 are really a summary of the apostles and what they've been going through. So let's just take some time to look at this. Paul says in verse 9, For I I think God has displayed us, the apostles, in last place. Like men condemned to die, we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to people. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonoured. Up to the present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless. We labour, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we respond graciously. Even now, we are like the scum of the earth, like everyone's garbage. So Paul describes the Apostles here in 16 different ways. So he's defining who the Apostles are as a group of leaders in 16 different ways. And all of it points towards hardship and suffering. There's no evidence here within this passage of blessing, physical blessing. It all points towards a difficult experience we've faced. Suffering, hardship. Paul is saying here, you think you've made it because of all these blessings that you've received, you're superior, rich, full, reigning, wise, strong, full, but Paul wants him to see through this comparison, Paul's basically saying, look at us, you know, you think you've made it because of all these physical blessings, but honestly, look at us, look at what we are going through. Look at all the rejection, all of the hardship, all of the pain, all of the confusion and hopelessness. We're the apostles and yet we're facing all this. Through this comparison, Paul's message to the Corinthians is a message to every single one of us this morning. Do not put your hope in external circumstances. Whether, it's, whether things are going well or things are going really difficult Do not put your hope in external circumstances. Put your hope only in Jesus. Trust in Him. Believe that He has His very best for you. No matter what it is that you face externally. And I wonder this morning if it feels like you're going through a difficult season. Or maybe it's just a a real time a blessing for you. But maybe this morning it feels difficult, it feels hard, it feels confusing. It feels hopeless. Let me just ask a very direct question this morning. Is it because of a sin choice that you've made in your life? Are you facing this today? Because of the wrong choices in life? Because of a wrong sin choice? Maybe. Perhaps. Possibly. We do reap what we have sown. It's a kingdom principle. If we choose to reject God consistently in our life. We will experience hardship and suffering. But is it... Is this suffering, is this hardship, is this difficulty because God has rejected us? Because he's turned his back on each one of us? Is that the case? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. God's love is constant and consistent towards us. We read these words from Paul in Romans 5, eight, but God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's an incredible verse. God proves his own love for us and that while we still chose to reject God, he died for each one of us. In our rebellion against God, Jesus loved us. His love is unconditional. It doesn't get any better than that. To really understand that no matter what it is that we face, no matter what it is that we do, God's love is constant. It's always there. He's always with us. And he is always open to helping us. So even if our pain is a result of sin, there's a bigger truth that undergirds this. And it's the fact that God loves us. He loves rebels. He loves prodigals. Like you and like me. And if God always loves you, no matter what season you face, then your response should be one of love towards him. God honestly does love you, as God's word says, then your response should be one of love. Because no matter what season we find ourselves in, we will always grow and become more like Jesus when we choose to love him with all that we are. If we're experiencing hardship or blessing, if we choose to love Jesus in that moment, we will grow and become more like Jesus. You know, There's a song by Hillsong United called Highlands. And the chorus goes like this. So I will praise you on the mountain, so the time of blessing. I will praise you on the mountain. when I can see all things, things are going really well. I'll praise you, Lord. Come on in, guys. Um, I will praise you when the mountain's in my way. So I'll praise you in the mountain when things are going well, when it's a real time of blessing. but I will also praise you when the mountain's in my way, when I'm in the valley, and things don't make any sense. I'm still going to choose to praise you, God. You're the summit where my feet are, so I will praise you in the valleys all the same. No less God within the shadows. No less faithful when the night leads me astray. You're the heaven where my heart is, and the highlands and the heartache all the same. You know, I wonder if you'd be willing to say that to God this morning. God, I'm going to praise you on the mountain. Unlike the church in Corinth, when things are going well for me, I'm not going to think to myself that it's all about me and my own personal achievement. I'm going to give you all the glory and I'm going to see all of life as a gift. I'm going to praise you in the mountain. I wonder if you're willing to say that this morning. Or I wonder if you'd also be willing to say to God this morning, God, I'm going to praise you when the mountain's in my way. I want to be like the apostles in this regard. I want to bless when reviled. I want to endure when persecuted. I want to be gracious when slandered. I want to be faithful to you when things don't make any sense. You know, this kind of attitude, this kind of lifestyle is one where you're not up and down based on your circumstances. We can be so fragile in terms of just happy and sad based on how well things are going. No, it's one where you're rooted in In the gospel, so that no matter what it is that you face, God is always with you, God is always for you, and your response is one of love towards Him on the mountaintop and in the valley. The peace that you have in your life should be a peace not from your surroundings but from God Himself. So maybe you want to experience that this morning for the first time. You know, we would invite you to make a decision to follow Jesus uh, today if there's going to be space just at the back there and we would count it a privilege to pray with you and for you that you might come to that place where you turn from your sin and you turn to Jesus and you believe that God has the very best for your life no matter what it is that you face we want to create some space this morning for you to receive Jesus today let go of your old life and pursue him with all that you are whilst you are still a sinner Jesus died for you, put your faith in him today and it's as simple as asking Jesus to forgive you and then receiving the gift of him, the gift of his Holy Spirit in your life so as I said, there's space at the back and we would count it an absolute privilege to pray for you uh, this morning as we now respond in worship, and um, we have opportunity also to come to the table uh, and really this is a table that points to the fact that no matter who we are No matter what it is that we face, God is faithful. Jesus died for each one of us. Jesus rose again from the dead. We take this bread, we drink this cup, we remember Christ's sacrifice for us. As we take this bread, we remember Jesus' body. And we would invite you to then dip that bread into the cup and remember his blood that was shed. You know, this is how much God loves each one of us. He went this far. He went to a point of death, even death on a cross. So, if you have faith in Christ this morning, come to the table, and remember, and as you come to the table, proclaim what He has done—His death, burial, resurrection, and His His coming again. And Jesus gave His life for you and for me, and we respond in this way because He calls us to, He commands us to do this in remembrance of me. As we respond in this time of worship this morning. Um, If you need prayer for anything in your life, any situation, any difficulty, maybe you need prayer for healing. Um, Again, we would count it a privilege at the back there to pray with you and for you. So let's respond uh, in a time of worship. Before we do that, let's pray together. Let's pray. Lord, we want to just to recognize just how good you are. And Lord, sometimes it's just difficult for us to do that because we so often just lose sight of the reality of you and, and what you've done for us. We so often just hear so many of our voices in our life. And Lord, we just pray that you would help us to just tune in to your word and to tune in to Your to the work of your spirit in our lives as we are receptive to all that you have done for us. We pray, Lord, that our, our confession today would be one where we say, it is well with my soul. No matter what it is I face, it is well with my soul. God, you are for me and not against me. And for that, I thank you. Lord, we pray that as we sing and as we respond in these different ways, that your spirit would be here, that you would be working mightily and powerfully within our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen.